Welcome to Sermons from Bailey Road. You are about to hear a sermon given at Bailey Road Baptist Church. Bailey Road is a small Bible-believing church located in North Jackson, Ohio, and is pastored by Pastor Aaron Smith. We are dedicated to serving the Lord through our people and through our teaching. We hope you are enlightened by today's message, and again, welcome to Bailey Road Baptist Church. Corinthians chapter number 5. If you would, hold your place there in 1 Corinthians chapter number 5 and go back to uh, chapter number 1 of 1 Corinthians. We're going to start in chapter 1, and then uh, very quickly we will flip over to chapter 5 after we look at a couple of things in chapter 1. All right, so 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the Bible says in verse number 9, God is faithful. God is faithful. By whom ye were called unto the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, and I of Cephas, And I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Is Paul crucified for you? Or were ye baptized in the name of Paul? So we'll stop there just for a moment. In these first four chapters in the book of 1 Corinthians, we have seen uh, the request for unity within the church. If you'll look back at verse number 10 where he says, But that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind, and in the same judgment. So there is a unity that has been desired uh, to take place within the church. And we see in these first uh, four chapters this request for unity uh, to come to pass. But then in verse number 11, he says, For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, and there are contentions among you. Now, part of this report is within these first four chapters. Of course, he goes right into part of what was taking place of those that were saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Christ. And and there were some divisions there. But then there was a whole nother uh, report that was given to Paul. And this report comes and begins, he's going to start addressing this in chapter 5 and the report that was given. So I wanted to go back to chapter 1 to kind of set the, uh, the context here, uh, because verse number 1 of chapter 5 begins by saying, it is reported. Notice what he says next. Commonly, that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. And ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you, for I verily, as absent in in body, but present in spirit, have judged already, as as, 
as though I were present concerning him that hath done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote unto you in an epistle, not to company with fornicators. Yet, not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters. For then must ye needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, covetous, or idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such an one, no, not eat. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do ye judge them that are within? But them that are without, God judgeth. Therefore, Put away from among yourselves that wicked person. This is a very heavy chapter. This is not a light chapter. It's a heavy chapter. Because we're getting the report of iniquity within the church. So we go from the request for unity in the church to now Paul is saying, now let me give you the report. And as I was pondering over this chapter the last couple of weeks and looking at this and trying to just mull over in my mind uh, what is taking place here, and I, I started thinking about this Corinthian culture. We talked about it in week one as we introduced this book and uh, talked about how uh, the city of Corinth was a city that was known for uh, very base things, uh, very gross sinful activities, including temple prostitution and different things along with idolatry and fornication, uh, there was a term that was known as uh, Corinthianizing, uh, which was an immoral act, and it was known throughout the world uh, that it was just known as that because that's what the city of Corinth was known for. And so what's happening here, of course, uh, the Apostle Paul came in and started this church at Corinth. 
In this church, Paul spent more time than with any of the other churches that he established nearly 18 months to establish this church. Now, my opinion on that is probably due to the base behavior that uh, this church was exposed to before Christianity. Now, here's something else we must consider. As we consider this city of Corinth, as we even consider this church at Corinth, And that is this, this city, this church, had no base of Christianity. You realize that? They did not have what we have today. Namely, they did not have at the establishment of their church this letter of 1 Corinthians. They didn't have that yet. So everything was new to them. Everything was brand new. They were learning, and they were coming in, and they thought what they were doing was right. They obviously excused some things. We see in verse number 1, he says, It is reported, not just it's reported, but it's reported commonly that there is fornication among you. Commonly. Now, I want to do a little compare and contrast here, if we may. Because we've been talking over the last several weeks about uh, how to minister in a post-Christian culture. In a post-Christian culture that we live in, Christianity is no longer affecting and influencing the moral fabric of our culture. There was a day and a time when uh, we had some uh, Christian influence among and in our society. Some of you can remember uh, why or days uh, when everything was closed on what day? Sunday. Do you think that's a coincidence? I mean, why wasn't everything closed on Thursday? I mean, was it just simply that they needed a day off and Sunday was a good day to do it? No, that wasn't it at all. Now, some could come and say, well, they didn't have a lot of business on Sunday and that's why they they couldn't open, it wasn't profitable. And that may be the case, uh, but there was a vast majority of people in this culture and that culture that attended church on the Lord's Day. And they didn't believe in doing other things on the Lord's Day. And so also for those people that owned businesses and their employees, they were also active Christians. And so even if everyone didn't go to church, Christianity still affected within that culture. But now we live in a day where Christianity is not affecting those types of things. If anything, they're choosing not to. More so, it seems as if the world is having more of an influence on the church than the church is on the world. Let me illustrate just this last week. uh, Harvard University. Harvard University that was founded, you may not know this, but it was founded for the purpose of training within the Bible. Training ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just this last week, Harvard University brought in a new chaplain. 
Now, how many of you know what a chaplain does? How many of you know what a chaplain is? Anybody need to know? All right. How many of you would be surprised to learn that Harvard University, when they brought in this new chaplain, to learn that their new chaplain, the new spiritual advisor on the campus of Harvard University, is a professing atheist. Now, how many of you would say, wait a second, wait, 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 wait. that's an oxymoron. You, you can't have a chaplain who is an atheist. You can't have a chaplain who's supposed to be giving spiritual advice and spiritual things, and they are an atheist. They don't even believe in God. That's the culture in which we live. It gets better, though. It gets better. So this chaplain is brought in. He's an atheist, professing out openly all of that. And amazingly, leaders, so-called leaders of evangelical churches, are congratulating this gentleman on the new position as chaplain of Harvard University. And I'm talking respected evangelical Christian leaders saying congratulations. And I wonder why our culture is no longer affected by Christianity. We're not making a much difference. Now, he went on, the gentleman that said congratulations, went on to explain that uh, after he took a lot of flack for it, he went on to explain that he and this gentleman that was named to be the chaplain was, uh, they had become friends uh, over certain debates of debating Christianity and atheism. Uh, and, and I get that. I get becoming friends and trying to befriend someone uh, and trying to influence them with the gospel. Uh, but Saying congratulations publicly takes it to a whole other level, don't you think? That's our culture. We are living in a culture, a church culture, a modern-day church culture that is debating and some accepting of the lifestyle that we call homosexuality. So much so that they are debating and bringing into certain denominations and saying, we're fine with our ministers being homosexual. That's supposedly Christian churches. We're, we're okay with this. And so when I sit down and I read in verse number 1 where it says, it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, I had to stop and I had to think, wait a second, this is rampant throughout our churches today. And it's common. I, I, I read uh, just uh, three weeks ago uh, about a Baptist pastor. A Baptist pastor that resigned his church because he was found to have visited prostitutes. And five years ago, five years ago, proposed to his wife that they have an open marriage. 
an open marriage. I'm not going to go any further than that. And then, and then, it was known by the pastor that his wife, who he had proposed to have an open marriage, was having an extramarital affair with the youth pastor in the same church for over a year. We are living in a post-Christian culture. When these things are going on in churches, and again, I'm not talking just uh, other denominations, I'm talking even within Bible-believing, what would be considered fundamental, basic Baptist churches. It's reported commonly that there's fornication among you. There's an issue. There is an issue today. There was an issue in this day, and, and we say, some would say, oh, well, the Bible is no longer relevant. Look, you can't get more relevant than 1 Corinthians chapter 5 in today's culture, today's church culture. Now, I'm not saying every church is affected by this. I know there are pure uh, churches and pure Christians and all of this, but I'm telling you tonight that this is in our society. We are living in a Corinthianized society where it is not just in the world, but it is also within the ranks of our churches. And there's an issue. And Paul says it's reported among you. And he starts off, first off, the report of sexual immorality. Look at this a little closer here. Because it's not just the immorality that he deals with in verse number 1. And, and this is, uh, again, open to interpretation uh, on this. But he says, it's reported commonly that there's fornication among you and such fornication, notice this, as is not so much as named among the Gentiles. Not so named among Gentiles. What he's saying is, this that's being reported commonly and people know it and people are okay with it. He says, it, it's so bad that the Gentiles don't even do this. The unbelievers don't even do this. He says that one should have his father's wife. And again, for the sake of proper decorum, I'm not going to go into details on that, but uh, you can put that together for yourself. But the report of the sexual immorality is there. And notice verse number 2 as he says, this is the issue. Again, the immorality is part of the issue. But notice he says, are ye and ye are puffed up. Wow. Again, this idea of puffed means to be inflated with vanity or pride. He's saying, you're going around saying everything's okay. You're okay with this immorality. You're okay with this gentleman having his father's wife. You're puffed up about it. He said, and have not rather mourned that he hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. What he's saying here is, 
that yes, this gentleman is doing this, and you continue to welcome him in. He said, this is what's been reported. He says in verse number 3, For I verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already, as though I were present, concerning him that hath so done this deed. Now look, it did not take Paul very long to get to this second part. He says, here's the report. Here's the sexual immorality. Here's the issue that we're dealing with. You're puffed up. You haven't done anything about it. And I'm all ready to judge. I'm all ready to judge. And so he's about to put a rebuke for reporting or supporting, I should say, inexcusable behavior. He's about to rebuke this church at Corinth for supporting the inexcusable behavior. That's point number two, if you're keeping notes. So you have the report of sexual immorality. This is what's taking place. Paul says it doesn't need any further explanation. You're okay with it, and you shouldn't be. So he's about to rebuke them. And in this, take note in verse number four, as he says, I'm ready to judge. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying, notice this, is not good. See, they were coming in every week. Every time they'd meet together, this gentleman there, possibly even this lady there, I have no idea, but at least this gentleman was there. And everybody knew what was happening. Everybody knew what was going on. And they were okay with it. Matter of fact, they gloried in it. Says, Your glory is not good. He said, something's afoot here. He said, know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. He says, just a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump, and you're not supposed to have any. As a matter of fact, this is a whole lot of leaven. He says, ye are unleavened for even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. He says, may we not forget what Jesus Christ has done for us. Verse number 8, he says, therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity, and truth. He says, this is inexcusable behavior. His behavior, but church, he was saying it's also the church's behavior. 
Now look, let me talk about just for a moment about personal responsibility. We have a personal responsibility to ourselves. Every one of you is going to give an account to God for your behavior, for everything you've ever said, everything you've ever done. You're going to give an account for that. I'm going to give an account for that. When I stand before the judgment seat of Christ, I'm going to give an account for me. And I think part of what was possibly taking place is the attitude of, who are we to say anything? Who are we to say anything? But Paul said, you have to stand for sincerity and truth. I I don't want to cast... Uh, Again, judgment upon this church of Corinth. Again, they're still learning. That's one of the purposes of Paul writing this letter. I I believe uh, to what I can tell about this church at Corinth that they were sincere in what they were doing. But they lacked truth along with the sincerity. And Paul says, if you're going to serve, if you're going to do this, you've got to cut off the old leaven. Neither with the leaven of malice. He's saying it's not to get back at. It's not to get even with. But not to get rid of that with the leaven of malice, or neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. The report of sexual immorality. The rebuke of supporting inexcusable behavior. But he gives a reminder next. The reminder is of the separating from the iniquity. What he says. He says, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company fornicators. So Paul says, now... Unless I'm wrong, I've already addressed this. Hence the strong rebuke that Paul is giving this church. Hence the fact that just three verses into this chapter, Paul says, I've already judged on this matter. He says, I've already written to you to not keep company with fornicators. says, yet, all together with the fornicators of this world, or with covetous, or extortioners, with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator. So he says, I've dealt with this as far as people in the world. Don't keep company with fornicators. Don't keep company with those that extort in the world. He said, I've already written you on this. But now I'm writing you to tell you that even if that man is a brother, now let's get this right. Now look, hey, hey, check this out. This is very important here because we do this. I I think this this is strong. What did he say here? 
He said, I'm writing unto you on him that is a what? A brother. You know what we do today? You know what we do? This is what we do. I promise you, this is what we do. I, please don't take offense to this, but this is what we do. We say things like, and I can't believe Trevor would do that. I'm not even sure if he's saved. Is that not what we do? We begin doubting people's salvation because a Christian would never do that. Oh, wait a second. Wait a second. We have a brother, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, doing some horrific things. And Paul says, is a brother. Does that get too, is that too deep? Listen, it's not up to us to decide. Brothers can do some pretty horrific things. And Paul says when they do, just because they're a brother, doesn't excuse you for not separating from them. He says, don't keep company if any man that is called a brother, and you could question and say called a brother, be a fornicator, or covetous, or idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner. With such an one, no, not eat. Is I want to remind you, I want to tell you, separate. Separate from the iniquity. Verse 12 says, For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within? This idea of judgment, sometimes we misconstrue that as far as uh, using, you know, passing judgment, don't judge someone. Uh, this is simply using discernment. So we talk about having good judgment. Oh, well, I didn't, I didn't judge that step correctly enough, and I, I missed it. You see what I'm saying? It's not passing judgment. It's having discernment. It's having discernment here. He's saying, don't you have discernment to judge them that are within? He says, this is a serious issue. But them that are without, God judgeth. Therefore, Put away from among yourselves that wicked person. That wicked person. Now notice, he explains earlier, back in verse number 5, that it is within our role as a church to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the Spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now look, church, this, this topic, this chapter, I told you it's heavy. This is serious business. This is what 
or why, let me say it this way, this is why unity is so important. This is why unity is so important. This is why being unified upon the doctrines, being unified upon the Lord Jesus Christ, is so important within the church. I hope, I pray, we never have to deal with a situation like this. I pray we don't. That's not to say we won't have to deal with situations from time to time. We may have to. When we do, we must be unified. We must know what the Word of God says because, listen, while this church at Corinth didn't have the letter of 1 Corinthians at first, we do. Church of Corinth didn't have the book of Romans. We do. They didn't have the book of Galatians. It talked about if a brother be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one. They didn't have that. They didn't have that. I should, sorry, misspoke there. They didn't have that. But we do. That means all the more important that we give ourselves to sincerity and truth when it comes to matters like this. Because I would dare say that we would probably be more accountable to the truth because we have the completed Word of God. And it's not one person's call. It's not three people's call. It's not a committee's call. It's a church. And therefore, as a church, we must be unified. And again, if you'll recall this, I, I, I said this at the very beginning as we started studying in this book, that this is, we're going to deal with some preventative maintenance. It's very important that we know what we are to do and what our role would be before something like this ever happens. Because, see, it does not say to deal with something like this in sincerity and emotions. Does it? Because I'm going to tell you, when something like this happens, emotions get involved. I, I, I get emotional. But the truth must direct not our emotions. That's why we have to decide up front. We're going to be unified, not just together, but unified with the truth of God's Word. Again, I'm, I'm grateful, as far as I am aware, that we don't have anything like this. That makes preaching something like this much easier. I will tell you that for sure. We've got to be unified. We must have spiritual unity. 
with the truth of God's Word. That when, if, something like this would ever come up, we would all be in agreement. We know what to do. With the hopes, again, sometimes hoping against hope as we talked about earlier, that we would have an opportunity to restore such a one. But I know as well as you do, in order to restore someone, they have to first want to be restored. This brother didn't want to be restored. He was perfectly fine with it. And Paul said, you can't be any longer. Deal with this. Make a good, good judgment. Make a good, have a good discernment here. Don't even eat with him. I know that's hard. That's a hard decision, but there is a purpose for it. That the Spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. This report continues into the next several chapters that we'll continue to look at this church. Their unity, our unity, as Paul deals with the items that were reported to him. We'll continue this next week. Let's bow for prayer, shall we?